Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for Surfin' Bird by the Trashman. We can't be trusted with that one anymore. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. I do it. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, it's, um, it's what I do for a living, basically. I don't really understand your question, actually. Well, my dad bought me a guitar for Christmas. I think that's probably how it all started. And you got the bug? I got the bug, yes. write for the charts if you write for yourself. Damn right I write for the charts, isn't it? Once I was a soldier I rode on a big whale. You've got to have a sense of humour about it nowadays otherwise you'd turn out that sounding like Journey or something like that. Silver pistols at my side Carrying the flags of war Oh, all right, then Jefferson Starship. Hello. Is this thing on? Is this on? Is this thing on? <laughs> Hello. Hey, we are back again for now. Hear this. We're back. Oh, no. And we are in a new recording facility. Yeah. It's a little less reverberant. Yeah. How did you manage to rent out the Apollo 11 space capsule for this? Well, I know Tom Hanks. That's okay. Yeah. Tom would, Tom would, I only know Colin. Oh, yeah. I only have access to Orange County. (laughs) We just watched Orange County the other day. I really like that movie. I was just in Orange County. Hey, great news. My kid doesn't have whooping cough. (laughs) Oh, man. You turned it into a whooping cough thing. I wanted to talk about Harold Ramis. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He says, <clears throat> oh, my voice cracked there. He says in that movie, some of the best fatherly advice I ever got from Harold Ramis, which is, hey, when it comes to drugs, if it comes from the ground, it's probably okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Speaking of things that have nothing to do with each other, we're here talking about Nick Lowe's Jesus of Cool. Oh, yeah. Or Pop Punk pure for, pure pop pump for, for now, people. For now, people. Yeah, that's right. As it's known in the states. As in, yes, yeah. there were two different track lists in the United Kingdom, and well, just basically everything that was in the United States. You have and different songs on the record. Too. I know. Weird. Really weird. Super weird, right? I mean, and not inconsistent. Like, I guess it's not that weird. Like, 
that seems to have happened over the course of the evolution of how albums coalesced from the late 50s through present day, where they were first a smattering of songs and then they became sort of things unto themselves. What you see more often, though, is a difference between U.S. and U.K. albums in like the 60s, -hmm. as opposed to when this came out in the late 70s. Right. So unusual in that regard. Like the Beatles... Right. U.S. releases versus the U.K. releases, which I didn't even know was a thing until, I don't know, five, ten years ago. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, there's an extra guitar intro on <laughs> We Can Work It Out. Or is no, it's I'm looking through you. Yeah. And, a false start. Oh, a false start. Oh, yeah. no. I got to buy this whole record again. Yeah. Well, we, we were talking the other uh, – before we launch onto this tangent too much, but uh, we were talking the other day. George Harrison was famously salty about that in uh, press conferences and would uh, – mm. there's one great press conference where he's like, yeah, Capital takes the albums and ruins them. It's like, oh, <laughs> tell us – please, George, tell us how you really feel. Yeah, tell me more, George. <laughs> but anyway, so this one, I guess changing the title was to save the tender ears of the uh, American heartland yeah. from – calling anything other than Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> Jesus, I guess. You know, when I drive through the heartland of America mm-hmm. and they all pull out their copies of uh, Pure <laughs> Pop For Now people, <laughs> yeah, they don't know. They don't know it was called Jesus of Cool. So I'm glad that they were all spared. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, thank God. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Thank, thank, thank Colin. Yeah. And this is a, can I tell you? This is a great. <laughs> yes, you can. Can I tell you this? Please tell me. This is a great album. Yes, that's yeah, it is. Sometimes it takes me a couple listens to get into records, especially the ones that I send you. <laughs> well, no, not necessarily. But like, for instance, with Randy, I had to break down a lot of my preconceived notions. Mm. With Ben, I had to let go of a lot of childhood hangups. With Todd, I had to drop acid. Right, right, right. Yeah. With this one, it was instant. It hit yeah. me instantaneously, right. and I cranked it up, and I was like, fuck yeah. Fuck <laughs> yes. So I am very excited about this record and very excited about getting to know Nick Lowe more. So thank you for that, Ryan. You're very welcome. All right, so did you listen to the Jesus of Cool playlist or the Pure Pop For Now People playlist first? Well, I listened to the Jesus of Cool playlist, but then on the version I was listening to, I guess it was the re-release from more recently, where they include Hmm. all of the other versions that were on the American release. So I did hear them all, but the album proper that I heard was Jesus of Cool. Right, Jesus of Cool. So music for money. It, it hooks you right in, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, are we are we launching? No, no, no. I just I guess I'm talking about the different track. Oh, comparison yeah. to the track list right now. Yeah, yeah. Music from it does it it does hook you, but then it goes right into Breaking Glass, and then then you're like, oh my god, like that that song for me is just well, we'll get to that. Yeah, in we'll a moment, get to the songs in a bit. Very strong. So yeah. So I mean, just to call out the differences since we are talking about the track list, you have Shaken Pop on Jesus of Cool, which is. A little further down, it's not as high energy as they called it rock. Yes. Which is like, so... I'm to understand that's from, that's the version that he recorded with Rock Pile? Yes. Yeah. And we can, oh boy, we may get back into Rock Pile in a bit. Because they have a few records that are just tight like this and have that same tone, that bar band tone. 
I'd love to, I'd like to point out to the since this is an audio medium and you can't see what's happening right now. I am seated low to the floor right now, and Ryan is towering above I'm standing. me like a principal of music. <laughs> and I'm doing a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of finger wagging. Excuse me, waist level finger pointing. Yeah. <laughs> which is very intimidating for for me. I feel like Oliver Twist right now. You may not have some more. <laughs> but yeah, I was completely fresh going into this thing. I, I was aware of him, but kind of by name only. And then once I heard this record through, I realized, oh, okay, I know Breaking Glass. And I certainly know Cruel to be Kind because every one of our generation saw 10 Things I Hate About You. It's funny. I thought that was a Dave Edmonds song for the longest time. <laughs> it's not. But then I realized they're friends. And he was in Rockpile. Which is not, I have, ah, Right, right, yeah. I had this same experience maybe eight years ago or whatever it was. You're like, wait, these guys were all hanging out? And they were all in a band together? Yeah. And so, I mean, one of my f- favorite parts about this record is just how sharp Nick Lowe is lyrically. Yeah. How intelligent and oh yeah, and humorous and... What I mean, what what would what's the he's like the Norm Macdonald of of lyricists for me. He's irreverent. <laughs> yeah, though there's some Randy isms in there. There's some sarcasm. Yeah. Some dry, biting sarcasm. Sometimes I'm like, like again with like Randy, my reaction was, "Who did this to you?" <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> How can I help? Yeah, what would a psychologist say if he saw and knew about all the albums that I had given you to listen to that are my favorites, doing air quotes? <laughs> well, last time we talked about how uh, I had given you a lot of sassy ladies and you had given me a lot of sad boys. Sad boys and sassy ladies. <laughs> this one does definitely break that conceit because... Finally. Yeah, he is biting. He's a biting man. And the artwork is unbelievable. So the album itself, it's meant to be like a jukebox of singles and nick is playing with pop styles of the 50s 60s and 70s at the time Mm. and even the record cover where he's you know he's got the jean jacket on and the acoustic guitar and like the hippie peace beatnik with the flower bass guitar and all of that it's and and even there's one of them i think it's dave edmonds is dressed up like nick as one of them on the cover and Mm. i didn't even know that until i was doing research for this album i didn't know that until you told me just now just now Welcome. Yeah, there's the the double-necked... Was that Denny? Yeah, Denny played that in Wings, yeah. the mm-hmm. double-necked guitar. So, And it the whole record really does play like that. Yeah. It's just lost pop single after lost pop single. And some of them are very clearly sarcastic. And then others, you're like, is he being sarcastic or is he not? Yeah. Like, tonight. Right. Seems kind of sincere. Kind of, but is it? I don't know. But is it? We'll get back into it, I guess. You mentioned Denny Lane of Wings... I have a Paul McCartney fact for this album and the next one we're about to talk about. Ooh. My Paul Is this Mac- a new corner you're starting? <laughs> the take it over here corner. The take it over here for the one McCartney fact per album. So this one I found out, and I just learned this this morning from my dad, who loves Nick Lowe, apparently, which I didn't know. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. Anyway, he told me that Nick Lowe was in a band that opened for Wings. No kidding. When Wings was still using like opening acts wow. in the, I guess, the wing, the English tour. 72, they, 73. Yeah, that era. And I guess Nick Lowe was a part of that. And I huh. that blew my mind, but also didn't really surprise me. It surprised me, but like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, you can hear some of McCartney's influence on him in this. But uh, so, okay, we should back up even a little bit further. The only reason I ever got into Nick Lowe, well, there's two reasons. One, I was working at a Borders Books and Music, I don't mm. know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And his album, Nick's album, The Convincer, had come out. Okay. And if you don't know if you've seen this cover, it's a teal background and he's in a suit. He looks exactly like he does from this era, 78, just white hair. And he's got a cigarette lit and his wrist out and he looks charming. (laughs) It's all get out. And I was like, who is this? What is this? You know? And for, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to Beatles records and all this. And I stumbled into Elvis Costello because a couple of my uncles love him and a couple of my buddies in my hometown, love him. And it turns out how many people besides that love Elvis Costello as I've gone He's got into a, my adult life. There's I, a fandom out there. There's a contingent. Yeah, but you see how you're reacting right now? It's not like, oh, yeah, I love him too. I Well, that's he's a whole other ball of wax. I think where I land on him is I always want to love him more than I do. But right. anyway, yes, right. That's, a, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, fair enough. So... Elvis Costello's first record is an album called My Aim is True, and that was released July 22, 1977. Yeah. Nick Lowe produced that. Oh. The band on that record was a band called Clover, Uh and that is actually, drum roll, (laughs) Huey Lewis's The News. Really? Yes. It was Nick Lowe and The News. Oh, no, it was Elvis Elvis and The News. Elvis Costello and The News, right. So that album happened, and then in between My Aim is True and This Year's Model... Nick or Elvis, or I, we can get into those stories. They built the attractions. Wow. Which they're kind of almost all together, except for the bassist. But that's, again, another whole different story. So between My Aim is True and this year's model, which was released in 1978, Jesus of Cool was released March 78, huh. which is the same year that this year's model was released in. Yeah. This album plays like the template. For Elvis Costello's career. Wild. Except Elvis has a very distinct voice and he's wordy. He just, it's almost like a rapper. Yeah. If you really think of it. And one of Nick's biggest criticisms for Elvis was always less words, more singing. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Right. Guess what we get on the Jesus of Cool? We get that. Yeah. Nick Lowe's vision for what Elvis Costello maybe could have or should have been is in this record. Maybe it's a response. Yeah. To the frustrate because Elvis Costello was not an easy guy to work with right. at this time. But, you know, this isn't an Elvis podcast. There's an audience for extremely wordy music. And there is an audience for simple music or less wordy, shall I say, or more judicious right. uh, lyrics. But, you know, it's one thing I struggle with because I always err on the side of be more judicious and target what you're saying more. Right. But... There are people out there who really like the stuff cram-packed. Yeah, that's true. So I think that's how you get the success of an Elvis concurrent to the success of a Nick. It's really, it's more of a difference of opinion. And it's also more about what you're trying to get out of the music, you know, who you're trying to attract, what you're trying to do with your art. So, yeah, while Elvis isn't always for me... Sometimes, you know, okay, I can appreciate that other people love that approach more. So I see Nick's point of view on this, and I actually agree with it. But I also agree that there's maybe space for both. 
Yeah, there is definitely space for both. So, Nick, you've come up through the live scene very much, and, of course, your music is perhaps a bit simpler than other more eccentric forms of that. How do Rockpile and yourself fit into the 80s and the age of synthesizers and nine months for a drum sound? Well, it, it, that, all that stuff doesn't really work for us. Of course, Rockpile's broken up now quite a long time ago, but uh, um, that stuff never really worked for us. That's taking a long time over... Um, over drum sounds and uh, guitar sounds and things like that because the stuff that we do because it's very simple um, has you have to c capture a, uh, a performance it's essential really for it in, in order for it to work if we did more structured stuff then you could, that's the stuff that you can take much longer over and uh, work on and take to bits and a lot of groups do do that I think it's interesting that Elvis Costello, at least in musician and maybe hipster circles or mm. whatever you want to call it, rock journalism, he's revered yeah. as the guy, whereas Nick Lowe isn't really. Now he's seen as an elder statesman of pop songcraft, at sure. least from what I understand, from guys like Ron Sexsmith. And yeah. I think there's even some overlap into the Jack White world with Nick. I'm going to get to the point of what I'm saying, but I just remembered... I, when I was living in New York, I went to see Nick because uh -huh. now I don't know if you dug into some of his later material. Mm -mm. It's breezier, it's easier, it's acoustic guitar music. Yeah. He said that he wanted to get away from the slave of the snare drum. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's yeah. really good. And so Nick has this ability to go really, really big. And then there are some other songs like if you checked out Endless Sleep on this record where he's yeah, just yeah. low, as low, Nick oh, low yeah. as you can go. It's like ASMR. Yeah. But it's so heavy at the same time, mm -hmm. emotionally. Mm. So there I was at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York, in the middle of a Nick Lowe set, and he's playing. He's got his band, and they're keeping it real nice and easy. And up next to me strolls up, who do you think? Right to my left. Oh, what year? This would have been, let's, let's say it's 2010, 2009 or 2010. Huey Lewis. No! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was, ah, ah, because <laughs> Huey, to keep pulling this circle together, ended up producing some songs on an album called The Rose of England mm -hmm. in the 80s for yeah. Nick. Wow. Specifically this one song, I Knew the Bride When She Used to Rock and Roll, mm. which is a real nice slice of pop. Good. Yeah. But yeah, all of these dudes, they were just in this circle in yeah. the... That's consistent. Mid to late seventies, and I didn't say anything. I was too afraid to say something to Huey. I have a a party game I like to play. Do you want to play it really fast? Yeah, sure. It's a party game I always play with groups of people whom I don't know. So we're breaking the conceit a little bit. The game is this, and I'm this is one hundred percent true. I do do this. What do you think Huey Lewis is doing right now? Right now. Break the fourth wall. It's 11.43 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in May <laughs> uh -huh. on a Saturday. I'm not going to tell you which Saturday it is. <laughs> so you all don't figure out how long it takes us to produce these things. <laughs> well, I don't know. Where is Huey Lewis? What it's, is he doing right now? I think now. Huey Lewis is somewhere in... The beautiful San Fernando Valley having Ooh. brunch. Wow. With brunch. His wife. Family trip to brunch. And her 
Family. Family. Yep. That's what they're. He's right. He's having an orange juice right now. Family man. He's a family guy. He's having a family. He's having a family man time at brunch. <laughs> okay. So we, yeah. my answer is usually in the bath with a glass of Merlot. No, that's good. But I don't know about 1130 on a Saturday. If they hit it, might have a problem. I think maybe mimosa. Okay, so you're taking the orange juice and bumping it up from coach to business class. How about this? I think he's on a plane. All right, where's he going? (laughs) (laughs) I think he's headed to Japan. Ooh, to the land of some international business. Rising sun. Yeah, and sun. That's what I've. That's exactly. We said the same thing at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all of our tens of listeners out there, play this fun party game the next time you're at a party. Ask everyone what they think Huey Lewis is doing at that moment. You will get an interesting smattering of answers. Tangent over. (laughs) Paul's second corner of the... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds just like an old phone. (laughs) Do we have any callers? Uh, No, no, there are no callers. Nobody on the line. It's a podcast. Nope. So, yeah. So, Nick Lowe is amazing. And this album was reviewed... Incredibly, Rolling Stone, Spin, Uncut, Mojo, even all music. Robert Christgau, who I don't know if you've ever read any of his reviews of McCartney's Wings stuff. None that I remember his name. Village Voice Guy, cutting okay. short yeah. reviews of records. Right. And I may have to pull some up now, but even he gave this album an A. Wow. And he normally doesn't like anything. It's hard not to. It's a very welcoming album. It's very easy for new listeners of him, I would imagine. Easy for longtime listeners. Lots to love on this one. Absolutely. Here's Robert Christigo's quote. It's an amazing pop tour de force demonstrating that if the music is cute enough, the words can be any old non-cliche. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I could. Okay. Yeah. He called himself the Dean... <laughs> Of rock critics. Jesus Christ. And all the rock critics are like, okay, guys. <laughs> I am the Jesus of rock journalism. I'm sorry, pure journalist for rock people. The rest of the review is as follows. Lowe's people cut off their right arms, castrate Castro, love the sound of breaking glass, roam with the alligators in the heart of the city, and go to see the Bay City Rollers. But because the hooks cascade so deftly... I care about every one of them. Mm. As for Lowe, this inspirational verse, she was a winner who became a doggy's dinner. <laughs> she never meant that much to me. A grade. Wow. Wow. Mic drop for this guy. <sighs> These are the sound effects that you're going to get for free <laughs> on this record. Am I missing anything? Do I have to... Well, I want to do two things. I want to quickly shout out the drummers on this album because Terry Williams, Steve Goulding, and Pete Thomas are some of the heroes of this album. Pete Thomas, that's Elvis Costello's guy. Uh, There you go. I mean, the drumming on this record is amazing. The musicianship all around is amazing. We talked about Dave Edmonds. The production is also incredible, and Nick produced himself on it. Well, yeah, his whole thing, he was called the basher because he would just get him done as fast as he could. And, okay. and, and, and even that said, 
the effects and the editing and, yeah. the, and the thoughtfulness is it doesn't sound rushed. No, it doesn't. It sounds methodical and clean. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So, is it time for Paul's bullet Uh-oh. corner? Everybody duck. <laughs> we haven't really come up with like a good segue for that, but I, th- I feel like we'll find one. Welcome to Paul's bullets. <laughs> I hope you're prepared for some information. That's the one. That's the one. I think that's I like that. That's good. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. All right, so back to Paul's bullet corner. Here's the first bullet. Fuck you, just kidding. Here's some roses. (laughs) Woo! Yeah. Bullet point number two. 27 flavors of punch in the dick for the low and dirty. (laughs) Oh, keep these coming. Bullet point number three. The music police are here to arrest you and their balls are showing. (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) What does that one mean? It's compelling. I like it. Number four. Rock and roll nihilism for to make ladies and gentlemen dancing. Ooh, little craft work, and that's the worst German accent. <laughs> that's been uh, my bullet corner. Thank you. Give myself a little. Those are, that's my favorite there. thing you do. Okay, good. I'm glad. I wish I was as creative as that. I'm going to make more party games next time. <laughs> <laughs> should we get into the album? I was just thinking maybe we should do a whole episode of Paul's various corners. <laughs> <laughs> Another corner. <laughs> Here's Paul's Corner, where he talks about his favorite flavors of lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> I like strawberry lemonade. and Yeah. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. Buskin for bucks, singing for sucks. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that's what was really happening at the time. Yeah. What a fantastic opener. Greed. Was it greedin' for greenies? Yeah, greedin' for greenies. Isn't it queer? Handsome promotion. No. And then what does he say? No something here. And whatever it is, it's not appropriate for (laughs) for. Public consumption, but and then just the way he says Muzak instead of music. Yeah. Muzak. So this is a guy that clearly loves his job. <laughs> right? <laughs> he seems to hate his label. He seems to hate what he does for a living, possibly himself, definitely others around him. But I don't know. It, th- we're listening to this album completely fresh, and this is the first track. It sets a tone. It's sort of punky a little, but it's also kind of heavy. And it's an assertive opener that lets you know what you're in for for the rest of the record, kind of tenderizes you. Because while the rest of the record sometimes gets a little softer than this, you're put in the right frame of mind for what you're about to hear with this opener. Yeah, you know, and this the tenderizing thing you're saying, that is what it is. Because I didn't really... 
I found this record because of the song So It Goes. Oh, yes. I don't know where I heard it. Must have been Nick Lowe's greatest. He had a greatest hits collection from the the 90s. And that's the one that grabbed you. So It Goes grabbed me. I don't know why, because I think it's because it reminds me of The Boys Are Back in Town or something. almost a direct Yeah, it's almost (laughs) exactly the same song. (laughs) And so it's like, oh, So It Goes. So you get the record, and then... It just I remember that first song. I loved the... That's kind of how I feel about the song Letting Go by Wings. Yeah. Never... It, that was, that's been a grower. Every time I go back to that, I like it more. And okay. that's the same for music for money. Yeah, I can Bec- see that. Because I, I, I didn't appreciate the satire when I was in college or high school. Mm-hmm. As dumb as that sounds, I guess I'm just not that bright. No, that's not dumb. I mean, you're more inclined to take things at face value when you're younger. And then you realize everyone has double meanings for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and life is misery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's Paul's dad's life advice corner. <laughs> yeah, this one's not my favorite but uh, on the record, but I would say even the tracks I don't love on this record, I still like a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same. I mean, I don't have a lot to say. I, it really is a face value song. And when you look at it and you, I mean, read the lyric sheet, it's like, oh, yeah, this is as sarcastic as it can be. This is him just sending up the whole music business. Sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of this album is. So imagine I'm an Englishman in the 70s mm. and I purchased the Jesus of Cool <laughs> and this is the first thing that comes on. You're like, wow, where are we about to go? Yeah, I think you put it right. It's a send up. This whole record is a send up of the music industry and it seems like he is jaded and I guess <laughs> angry by it. I don't know, but I mean, he seems like he's having a fun time with his anger too, you know, like Sure. A healthy outlet. Right. Well, at this point, he's making Tons of money off of Elvis Costello. Yeah. And I don't know. I guess the thing I've always taken from Nick Lowe is maybe he was smarter than the guys in the room. I think I read somewhere where he was like, you know, I'm so interested in the songwriting craft and the production craft. But what I really love and what my favorite thing is, is figuring out the politics and the human dynamics of a band. Okay. Where you're like, oh, this is the band, but... That fat guy playing the bass in the corner, he's actually in charge. Yeah. So how do you wrap your mind around his mind and how do you get him to buy into what you want to do and you buy into what he wants to do to get it all to happen? And I think that type of psychology is what explains that first track and the whole rest of the album. Yeah, and that may come from his producing background too because when you're a producer, the band, the studio, the instruments, the engineers, they're your instrument to execute the song, you have a little bit more of a objective vantage point on the situation right. than somebody down in the shit would. So, uh, yeah, I could see that. Well, what do you say we go into your nihilist? I love the sound of breaking glass. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the sound of breaking glass. I love this song so much, Ryan. Yes. I love it so much. Tell me, tell me more about that. It's poppy, it's hooky, it's danceable, but it's also kind of badass on the edges. I'm going to be saying badass a lot in this episode, I badass, think. Badass, dude. Cuz it is. It's an ir- it is, yeah. It's an irresistible hook, but it's got this dark foreboding lyric that is piercing your brain because you're willing to let it in with this like dancey hook, you know? 
I don't know. I, I remember hearing this song on classic rock radio and growing up and shout out to the, <laughs> it was like the radio station's name was like the fucking the Eagle, the, the Hawk, the Hawk. Okay. You remember the Hawk? I don't. 93, but... six, whatever it was, the Hawk. I used to hear this song on there all the time, but I didn't really know who it was or where it was coming from. It's got a disco flavor to it, but these little piano accents and the and the drums and again these little frolicking bass lines they warm my heart like i yeah. love this song so yeah. much it's really fantastic andrew bodnard and steve golding are credited as songwriters on the track they're the rhythm section because yeah. he went into the studio and you know he had this little snatch of a song yeah and he turned it into this thing and there's this quote i pulled where <laughs> it was a, from a gq article in 2011 where he says, he doesn't perform the song live anymore because it's not good on just an acoustic guitar. And here's the quote. He goes, there's one song of mine called I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass, which is a fairly big hit in Europe. And people ask me for that sometimes, but I just don't do it. It's a really good record, but there's not actually any song in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was a half-baked idea I had when I went into the studio and the bass player and the drummer sort of put a little sauce into it. If I played it with just an acoustic guitar, the audience would probably give me a little clap. But by verse two, they'd be looking at their fingernails waiting for the next one. Okay. Okay. So it's fame. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like the hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bowie track. The Bowie track. Yeah. Like that, that, there's maybe a little more substance to that. I think this is way better than fame. Really? I think... I like the sound of breaking glass is incredible. It was number seven in the UK singles charts in 1978. It was like a, it was a hit. I don't doubt it. And it really is catchy. And I don't care if, you know, it's, it's like saying, it's like saying walk this way or something, you know, like, oh, it would be terrible on acoustic guitar. It's like, no, the, the riff. Right. In the, maybe that's a bad one. I don't know. Come together or something like that. Well, you could see how somebody like Clapton takes a riff rock song and turns it into an acoustic ballad with Layla. So there may be a way to do it, I suppose. You'd want to really arrange that thing and make it as ornate as the song because I agree. I think with what Nick is saying, I actually agree with with him in that article. This song is kind of like a Christmas tree. Like there's, (laughs) you know, we're all decorating it and the decorations are like part of the appeal. In fact, they're the only appeal to it is seeing all the ornamentation and all that stuff. So if you didn't have that ornamentation, you'd be stuck with somebody dragged a tree into your living room. So I guess what he's worried about is is he'd be dragging a tree onto the stage and asking everyone to love it. So I get it, but there's, there may be ways to sort of do it, you know? Yeah. You ever hear Lawrence Juber's like instrumental arrangements for Beatles songs and songs and stuff? Uh I feel like Lawrence Juber could do something with this. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. We should text him. Yeah. wonder what he's doing right now. So they were contemporaries because this, you know, they were, Lawrence was in Wings when this album came out. Right. Yeah. He would have been part, I bet they know each other, frankly. I bet that exists on Lawrence's hard drive somewhere. It's just waiting for the right time to put it out. Or he's on one of these records that we just don't know. Right. That's true. That's how he was. Yeah. So Nick Lowe filmed a performance of this song on Top of the Pops in 1978, and he brought his future wife, Carlene Carter to the set. It was one of their first dates. And Uh so she says, I went to see him at Top of the Pops. He was doing this song, I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass, in a Riddler suit covered (laughs) with question marks. 
<laughs> and then she says, we had chemistry. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite lines in this tune? Uh, no, because I don't think the lyric is my favorite part of it. It's just the groove. So I'm not, I'm letting the lyrics kind of wash over me. Sure. You know? How about you, Ryan? It really is only one line over and over again. Yeah. I love the sound of its condition flying all around. <laughs> yeah, it's good. The final thing I'll say about this track is that there's a myth surrounding this song in regards to the fact that people think Low is mocking David Bowie's Breaking Glass, oh. which is on his album Low, and Low denies it. You know, he says, I didn't hear that song until Elvis Costello, listening to a playback of this track, said, uh, haven't you lifted a Bowie title here, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, that's funny. We were just talking about Bowie, so I guess. It's all of that same era. Yeah. Oh, no, don't say that. No, let's groove. Oh, all right. Interesting. Yeah, this one shot to the top of my playlists very, very quickly. I was listening to it, in fact, on the ride over here, Ryan. Oh, nothing new about that. Yeah, cranked. So this is where it kind of <laughs> we keep ratcheting it up here with the song Little Hitler. Yeah, so when I put this album on the first time, I was on a run and therefore could not see the song titles. And I wasn't sure what he was saying. I couldn't quite make out him saying Little Hitler. So this song seemed way more tender to me. And then hmm. when I had it on the second time in the car. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This one has a lot of George on it for me. Okay. This album in general has a lot of like late 70s George sound to me. The sound was so similar that I thought there must be overlap there. They must know each other. And I looked it up. Nothing I can find on Google could uh, tell me that. Uh-huh. So I guess not. But there's like some slide and there's one of the acoustic songs he leans on every once in a while on this album. It, he goes from swing for the commercial fences to ELOE acoustic guitar town. Right. And I guess this town is the mayor's little Hitler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I had heard, how do I connect all this together? Let me see if I can do this. This would be a wonder if I can. I mean, I have to go back to Elvis Costello again. There is in 1979 an album called Armed Forces that Nick Lowe produced. And now Nick and Elvis have this thing where they will cover each other's songs on their albums yeah like what's so funny about peace love and understanding that was a niccolo song from the rock pile era that elvis took and he had a hit with it really yes i did not know that yes and then elvis gave nick or nick took a song called indoor fireworks which came from an album from the mid 70s and there's this back and forth here so this is a little more subtle this is that game a little further. I first heard Two Little Hitlers, which is on Armed Forces, which contains the line, oh, I love this, got me a valentine, she's a smooth operator, it's also calculated, she's got a calculator, she's my soft touch typewriter, and I'm the great dictator. Two little, yeah, <laughs> two little Hitlers will fight it out until one little Hitler does the other one's will. Wow. Yes. And so that came out in 79. Little Hitler is from this record, which is from 78. And so this is the first song. And I mean, this is my theory. And then Elvis's song is his response to this song. Yeah. And some say that's Elvis's, one of his cleverest lyrical 
everything. Yeah. And so, I don't know, there's just something so funny about these two Englishmen in the 70s <laughs> having this, like, songwriting battle. Of, like, yeah. who can write the funniest love song about Hitler? I lo- well, I was, was going to say I love that, but I really, like, all you'd have to do is edit this just slightly to make this sound like a weird alt-right podcast right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do love the idea. Woo! <laughs> I think We are not, by the way. Yeah, no. I think Donovan said it in the 60s where he was like... You know, I envision us all. I'm going to do a Donovan impression. You know, I envision us all on like the top of Mount Olympus, and we're all exchanging ideas, and we're all talking to one another and writing songs and stuff. And what he was talking about there was like I him. Out what it was. I've been. I. Where'd you go? <laughs> Donovan was here for a second. Donovan was talking about how. There was this moment in time where the Beatles and Donovan and the Beach Boys and the Stones and the Who, they're all crafting what popular music is. And I love that idea that there are these cliques at the top of the world exchanging ideas, pushing one another, creating these little groovy directions that maybe some will pick up on, some won't. You'll drop that, pick it up here, cover each other, yada, yada. Yeah. I love that we had that also in the late 70s too with this sort of power pop contingent of people and mm-hmm. i guess nick lowe was part of that charge you know you also we were talking about him and elvis costello influencing each other so i love hearing stories like that because i think that's really healthy for creativity to be pushed by your uh, contemporaries you respect and ideally get along with i agree do you think that exists anymore well on a microcosm level yeah there's Boutique labels where that can happen, but it's more, I think, local these days. Yeah. Maybe relegated to cities. Hmm. I got that feeling at the end of the 2000s where you get Zoe Deschanel, that she and him kind of crowd. Right. Mixing with Rilo Kylie and then St. Vincent's coming up in that mix and they're all sort of talking to each other. And yeah, I got that feeling a little bit in indie rock. It's definitely. It definitely was an indie rock. I don't even really know what's going on in indie rock anymore. Right. There's no, at least the movement, to my mind, doesn't have a leader or doesn't have a click, at least in the yeah. rock world. Mm-hmm. I think in hip hop, maybe it's a little bit different. Also in the late 2000s, you had Jay-Z and Kanye really close, and that's where you get Rihanna and all that. So it seemed a little more clicky. Watch the Throne. What an album that is. I don't yeah. know if you heard that one. 2011 or 12? Yes, Yes. I don't know. For the kind of music that I'm sort of actively listening to, it's way more segregated, way more local, maybe based to cities, you know? All right. I guess I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I agree with everything about the indie rock scene. There was, what, that Elephant Six Collective? Is that what it was called? Things like Neutral Milk Hotel. Yes. And the Olivia Tremor Control. Okay. That era. But that was the late 90s, early 2000s. And... It's all, it's because of the computer. I mean, I hate to say it and sound like an old man. <laughs> that dang fangled computer machine, yeah. the internet machine. But yeah, it's, and now with algorithmic music marketing, where you get a Discover Weekly playlist into your hand every mm. Monday yeah. of songs that more or less are exactly what your DNA, your musical DNA is. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and oh, okay, think about this. You and I met because of a podcast, True. a podcast that really digs right down deep into a vein of one specific artist catalog. Right. And everyone I've met 
from that podcast, I really get a, like that's that's the tribe. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's how it's happening. That's how I met the guys, the young guys, Alex and Chris that play like with the Monkeys band, yeah, or, yeah. or Ben that plays with Denny's band and all that. So. I think we're in this transitional phase at the time of recording this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it'll be like when we release it. Yeah. You need other people. You need collaboration. And I think you need proximity to a degree as well. I know you talk about the internet being the unifier. Maybe it is. It certainly made the world smaller, but there's something to be said for like, hey, Brooklyn kind of birthed a very specific sound of indie rock. L.A., you have Carrie Brownstein walking down the street and, you know, whatever. Like, I think at a certain point you do need that proximity, but... I was at Guisado's Tacos a month ago and Karen O walked in just by herself. Yeah. she's then, Now she's in Silver Lake. I, I was think. like, what the H is happening <laughs> right now? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So that's, that's our analysis on Little Hitler. <laughs> well, let's let's take this... Topic of talking about the music business into the next track, Shake and Pop. Shake and Pop. What a bop this one is. The lyrics to this and the lyrics to They Called It Rock. I go back and forth. Which one do you like more, Shake and Pop or They Called It Rock? I guess I like They Called It Rock a little more sonically. Sonically, I agree with that. But I prefer the lyric of Shake and Pop because it's a little crisper. I don't know, there's a nicer little cadence to that hook. And the visual, too. The cadence and the visual of shaking a can of soda or beer or something yeah. and letting it explode, which is what he's talking about. And then it's the double entendre of pop, being pop music and shake, as in shake, rattle, and roll and all of that. Yeah, it's a great little snapshot of how evidently pissed this dude is at the music industry. Oh, I love it. He calls out, Every major label, like... Oh, yeah. There's that line, Arista say they love me, but the kids can't dance to it. But the kids can't dance to it. (laughs) My favorite is verse three, because they set it up in verse one with, they went and cut the record, the record hit the chart, someone in the newspaper said it was art, Disco Casanova said it's heavy on the riff, and the local teeny bopper band was playing it to death. Right, verse one, then cut to verse three. You've got a couple choruses. They cut another record. It never was a hit. Someone in the newspaper said it was shit. (laughs) The drummer is a bookie. The singer is a whore. The bass player selling clothes he never would have wore. (laughs) Shake and pop. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a really depressing look at the life cycle of a band. It's like a two minute, 30 second or whatever, however long it is, version of a behind the music. It really is. (laughs) Which takes you full circle. It's funny, we we mentioned George Harrison earlier. There's a song on, I think you said it was your favorite record of his, which is somewhere in England called Blood from a Clone. Oh, I like that. Which is a very similar kind of song, but it's more about where George was in his life. But this is fairly common among songwriters. I mean, Last Dance with Mary Jane. You're talking Tom Petty? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Into the Great Wide Open. Mm -hmm. That's the one. It's a wonderful little commentary on how music journalists, too, can ruin an album or give it its spark. And they do. You know, they do have a weird amount of power sometimes over how a project is perceived. I know if an artist that I don't really care about puts out a record and then it's savaged by critics, I am way less inclined to give that album a listen than otherwise. Right. But if it's an artist I care about, 
then I don't care what the critics say. I more care about what I have to say. But the idea of a critic giving something an endorsement is much more, it opens me up to feeling like, oh, I want to be a part of this thing that other people seem to like. So do rock critics ever influence what you're listening to? Or are you divorced from it? They used to. I mean, now, well, there was always one guy who I really love, Stephen Thomas Erlewine on All Music. Uh His reviews, and it was, I don't know what it was. I think it stems from the Beatles sort of thing. You go to his reviews of the Beatles albums or McCartney's records or John Lennon, and you end up clicking on similar artists, and this guy is always the guy reviewing the records. And so on that website, he has the star rating. That's his rating. And for the most part, I match up with what he has to say. So then is that... Do I even have a musical taste or do I just have some other guy's musical taste? Right, right. I'm not really sure. I guess you'd have to look at a body of work completely divorced of a critical arena and figure out what you like best from that body of work. And then that'll probably give you what your taste is. If you took all the McCartney albums and picked out which one your favorite was, that's probably your taste and you can extrapolate from there. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. Love the song. This is the first one that actually made me stop and listen to the lyric on the record, the first yeah. go around. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, because it's a, it's a story song. It's a, an accessible story song. This was a, a nice little discovery. Kind of opened up the record, made me more inclined to pay attention to the lyric moving forward. Right. And so I, I actually found this quote about what we're talking about. Only a writer with a long, hard battle with the biz in his past could write something like music for money or shake and pop. And much of Jesus of cool does feel like a long delayed reaction to the disastrous American debut of Brinsley Schwartz and the band he was in with Edmonds where the band's grand plans at kickstarting their career came tumbling down and pushed them into the pubs. So then once there, the Brinsley's spearheaded the back to basics pub rock movement in England. And as the years rolled on, the band got loose, and as did Lowe's writing, which got catchier and funnier on the group's last two albums, Nervous on the Road and the new favorites of Brinsley Schwartz. So this is what came after this right. whole period. And so, I think that's the band that opened for Wings, actually, Right, Brinsley right. Schwartz. Brinsley Schwartz opened for Wings. So in a way, if Nick didn't have this negative reaction with the music business, he wouldn't have written this amazing album yeah. or influenced that pub rock sound, which gave us Elvis Costello and Dave Edmonds. And I mean, there's so, Reckless Eric. There's so many, uh, maybe even it influenced Wings in some way. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. I get, these kind of stories give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> All your failure will pay off yeah. eventually. Yeah. Mine too. Love this song. Not much else I have to say about this one other than this one made me stop and take notice. Which brings us into a quieter moment on the record. Aha. We are now at tonight. You know, Ryan, I think your singing sounds a lot like the harmony at the beginning of this song. Huh. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I found a lot of overlap. Just... <laughs> oh, that, oh, serenade me. Again, I can't stress this enough. You are towering above me right now. I am six feet above Paul. <laughs> 36 and, inches. And I'm, I can't even make eye contact with him because <laughs> to look down makes me feel very nervous and insecure. Uh, this is one of the more tender spots on the record. It's a similar acoustic flair to that of Little Hitler, but uh, right. obviously with more of a straightforward lyric and message. If you take it that way, 
It's, there's a lot of like yellow in here. Yellow. I hear a wing sound. I hear a mm. McCartney sound. Not a. Everybody says things that have acoustic guitars and harmonies and melodies. They're like, oh, that sounds like Paul McCartney. Right. Eh, well, does it, or does it just sound like pop from the 70s, the early 70s? Yeah. So the harmonies are great. There's a lot of little effects. There's that bleep, 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 bleep synthesizer. I don't even know what that is, but I love it. Yeah. It's solid power pop. Sure. Could a band like Big Star exist if this album didn't exist? I don't know. I love Big Star. <laughs> I do. Oh, so is that what you do? You like something down there, huh? <laughs> I'm reminded of a quote. I think it's from Jack White, where he said that there are sometimes there's these huge bands that put a stamp on a certain aspect of music. So for instance, the Beatles own melody. The Beach Boys own vocal harmony. Yeah. Led Zeppelin owns the riff. And then every time anyone plays in that sandbox after that, you're always compared to the ones right. that made it the biggest first. So I guess that's what we're talking about here is like a lot of these comparisons maybe aren't fair, but maybe they are, you know? There's a book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And what you just touched on is maybe half of the book and what you're saying. Okay. Like rule one, I mean, I don't know off off the top. I can look them up, but rule one is something along the lines of you have to be first. And rule two is if you're not first, invent your own category and then be first in that. Okay. And then somewhere down the list is own one word. Sure. Like BMW owns drive or... Uh, what what the, the Beatles hell? owned love. Yeah, the beat sure. Or melody like you're saying, Beach Boys are harmony because you will get compared to those people and unless you were first in that category <laughs> or in that work, you know, Paul, make me a copy. People say Xerox. Yeah. You know, who says copy anymore? I'm yeah. going to go Xerox these files or uh, Band-Aid. Band-Aid, Post-it, all of these things with are we talking about the drink? Cocaine, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just making sure. I just, just get nervous there. Just making sure. Is Pepsi okay? You know what? It's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> I mean, we all know it has to be okay. Will Pepsi be all right for you? I uh, no. <laughs> it won't. Get out of my face. I need you to Postmates a Coca-Cola <laughs> to your establishment and serve it to me in an ice-cold glass with ice. Now. And a plastic straw. Yeah. And one of those fucking paper bullshit yeah. things that melt in your mouth. Hey, we're joined in here by Dennis Leary. Dennis, hey! I didn't realize you were here. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I'm Irish and I'm pissed off about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Another thing about tonight, LCD Sound System ruined that word for me forever with their song tonight. I don't know if you, you're familiar with know, this song, yeah. where he just endlessly mocks every song that talks about tonight being the night and all that stuff. And it's, I'm telling you, it's ruined every single song that has the word tonight in it for me. I know this one doesn't really count because it can't, like, it's a little more sweet, you know, and it's meant, it's intentionally sweet, but. Even Tonight Tonight by Billy Corgan's Smashing Pumpkins I Machine. Think that, I think that one too, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not huge, I'm not huge into Billy. Paul is looking up I know. between <laughs> two computer screens. <laughs> like he's at the DMV. <laughs> Trying to just get his driver's license renewed. This is an interesting side closer. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Not this podcast. The, the, this the conversation yeah. is an interesting closer to our relationship as friends. 
Now, it's an interesting choice for a side closer. I guess it's fine. It's like a tender way to yeah. leave because he opens very strong and then this side closes very soft. So this would have been track three on Pure Pop for Now People, and that would have been closed with Roller Show, which doesn't even appear on this record. I gotta tell you, I don't really like that song. Roller Show? No. Going to see the Rollers. <laughs> it's just about him going to see the Bay City Rollers. Yeah, and having a great time. I was like, is there a deeper meaning? No. Nope. Nah. That's why I said on the record. Yeah. They gave it to the American audience. God. Those idiots will love this. Ugh. I agree with Nick. We suck. <laughs> so, you flip this thing over and Thin Lizzy is back. I with, know. Yeah. So it goes. The album's next big swing for the commercial fences. I think it's pretty successful swing, uh, though I like Breaking Glass a lot more. And it's unfortunate that I'm comparing it to that. But I don't know. If I had to pick one or the other in, on these com- very commercial sounding songs, I think I have to go with Breaking Glass because I like the hook better. You're right. And this one does remind me so much of Thin Lizzy. When did Boys Are Back in Town? Let me look that up. The Boys Are Back in Town was released April 17, 1976, with a re-release in 91, which I need to investigate that. So yeah, this is after okay. the Thin Lizzy, whatever you want to call it, a pretty, prototype of... <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty, not one-to-one, but they're pretty damn close. Oh yeah, just about as close as you... So wait, what? you don't like this one or you do like this one? I... I was singing along to it in the car. So I know yeah. that I like the hook. I don't know. I find it a little less compelling ultimately than Breaking Glass. And that's unfortunately just what I'm comparing it to. Like when it comes to these kinds of hooky numbers, for some reason, I find it so similar. Boys are back in town and I don't find the hook as interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm just not feeling this one as much. Although, as right. I say, I don't hate any song on this album. Like I like this song. You can put it on and spin it. Spin it through. I'm trying to organize my thoughts on it because I don't want to come across as too harsh on this song because I do like it. Yeah. I just don't like it as much as other songs on well, the that's, record. That's fair. I'm probably the flip with you on Breaking Glass to this song where okay. this, I can't wear this one out. I remember the night the kid cut off his right arm In a bit to save a bit of power He got 50,000 watts In a big acoustic tower Security's so tight tonight Oh, they're ready for a tussle Gotta keep your backstage passes Cause the promoter had the muscle That's so it goes I don't know what it is yeah. It has an, It's like an everlasting gobstopper Wow That doesn't turn me into a blueberry you Yeah know, At the end Where I can just put it in <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is a whole meal. I can taste the mashed potatoes. Yeah. I feel great right now. And I think it has a lot to do with how simple the chorus is and just the descending bass line against mm. the chords. But then that verse about in the tall building sits the head of all nations, worthy men from Spain and Siam. All days, discussions with the Russians, but they still went ahead, vetoed the plan, all of that stuff. Yeah. The U.S. representative is tired from the 747 that put him in that condition and like, <laughs> like what the hell are you talking i thought this was a song making fun of the music business and yeah. he flips into to politics and he's like yep yeah, so it goes and what the guy cuts off his arm at the beginning <laughs> someone gets electrocuted i think i maybe have to read the lyrics along with listening to this one maybe that would change my mind some on it I'll read this one, too. In the air, there's aftershave lotion in the wake of a snake-hipped Persian. On his arm, there's a skin-tight vision. 
wondering why she ain't mine, she is his. So it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes. You're like, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the bass line. There's a little bass guitar or whatever it is, tic-tac bass solo in the middle there. So good. Like there was, yeah, yeah. really enjoyed that part. The, I mean, the musicianship we've talked about on this record is just tight in general, but I really, really enjoyed that. Really, really great song. Yeah, so then we have No Reason. This is an interesting track. This is the first time I screamed holy shit in the car while listening to this. Oh, really? Tell me about that. I was driving down the 134, and I screamed holy shit twice. I screamed it this time, and I screamed it for the next track, which is my favorite on the record, but we'll get to that. I love him playing with genre. Every song has a different flavor to it. And this one has this weird ska-ish or reggae yeah. entry into that palette. The drums are just so, so good. And this track is one of those where it just really highlights the drumming for me. And I don't know, I really need, I'm the kind of person in a mix where I need that rhythm section really, really loud. Uh, yeah. And this one is this one is super, super duper tight. The organs too, the yeah. sing organs. It, ha- it sounds a little like... Watching the Detectives. Sure. Check that one out, Watching the de- if you like this song. Yeah. There are so many songs from this record that you can find an analogy somewhere in Elvis's career five years after this. Yeah. Because then Nick and Elvis, I don't know if they broke up, but you know you can only work with somebody for so long. Yeah. I mean, you're, how do you feel about me right now? We're I'm, barely into this. I mean, yeah, five of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the over-under? Yeah. Uh, 18 more months. <laughs> About the same as the over-under on whether or not Harry Belafonte is alive or dead. Still don't know. Still didn't look it up. I haven't written the fan letter to him, though, <laughs> yet. I will. I will. I'm going to. And you're going to say, I really loved when you did I Don't Want to Work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. My favorite song of yours is that. Yeah. I, song I, about the drum <laughs> and your teacher on the desk or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it's so good. I thought for sure the songs wouldn't get better than this. Okay. And then they did. So from here... What happens for you? Yeah. From here to the rest of the record, I find it to be a perfect record. Wow. Everything before this track, with the exception of Breaking Glass, I'm a little hit or miss on. Okay. From here on out, Nick has got me. Okay. I'm down low. We did it. Yeah. This is when I started texting you like, I need to know more about this person. Please tell me more information. Yeah, the side two, man. It's so, so good. Would you listen to Labor of Lust then? Because that whole album is the the side two of this record as a whole album. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to, I'm ready. (laughs) Let me tell you, I'm buying scuba gear. Take me. I'm going to do this dive. (laughs) Please take me. (laughs) No, it's great. It's great. That's about all I have to say about it. I yeah, just yeah, no, love that's, it. yeah, that's a fun track. It's it is more about the music and the vibe than yeah. I would say the song, unless I couldn't find something. And you guys can write me in and tell me why I'm wrong. I, I find the lyric to be a little plain, but I also don't care because I like the song a lot. Right. Yeah. Which is not the case for Uh-oh. this next song, track eight, thirty-six inches high, <whistles> handily my favorite song on the record, my current song of the moment. Like I listen mm. to this. I think this is a perfect rock song. I don't. Th- I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. This is exactly what it needed to be. This sounds like what David Essex wishes he was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do. It's got that rock on little like vibe, but there's that rock on. You know what I mean? But that there's song that weirds me out a I little lo- bit. I love that song. Um, the driving bass. There's this thick bass drum. There's this synth line. 
and these brush sound effects. The miking on the voice, it's so clean and it's like really close miked. It makes you feel like you're, he's whispering this song into your ear or something. Yes. It's the most badass song I think we've covered on this podcast so far. So I'll say this. Have you, did you listen to the original? Because this is a cover. No. Yeah. So Nick has this thing where he likes to pick either an unknown song or a lesser known song from his favorite artists. And he says he rehearses them until they become his own. Wow. And this is one of those. And it's a song by a guy, Jim Ford. Okay. Jim Ford. Jim Ford. Died in 2007. He was an American singer-songwriter. Rest in peace. From Kentucky. Mm. Yeah. And he lived in New Orleans, moved to LA, finally settled in Fort Bragg, California. And he was just kind of a soul, country music, folk, western, cowboy sort of guy. Yeah. And Nick cited Jim as his biggest musical influence. Yeah. Wow. And Sly Stone once called him the baddest white man on the planet. <laughs> Whoa. High praise. Yeah. So maybe we- What did the family have to say? The family- I know. <laughs> <laughs> the wife was very pleased, let's just say. Mm. The wife and the family, Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, if I, if I wish I was sitting down and I could take you more seriously. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so there was a charity gig where they were meant to perform the song together, Nick and Jim, in 2008, but he passed away before that. So, yeah, maybe, huh. I don't know, should we do a side-by-side of the two here? Once I was a soldier, I rode on a big white horse Silver pistols at my side, carrying the flags of war I lost track of the men that fell when the cannons broke. I never got over being a soldier. Once I was a tax man, collecting dollars and dimes. Rich man grumble. I heard the poor man cry. Once I was a tax man collecting dollars and dimes. I heard the rich man grumble. I heard the poor man cry. There's some Delta blues in there. It's awesome. You know? Really, really good stuff. There's a point in the song where he says yardstick. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it on the mic right now. Yardstick. He does it like you can hear his mouth meat flapping around in there. Yardstick. Yardstick. Once I was a ruler about 12 inches long. (laughs) But there's that do-do-do-do. It's like this military-style drumming, but then the breaks in the song let you off the hook. This song feels like breathing to me. Like I could like listening yeah. to this song is just as natural as like breathing. This is that vein he explores later with songs like Shelly, My Love, or... Even that Endless Sleep, which is from the same era, where he brings it down. Yeah. But it's bigger than the biggest song he has. How does a guy like this do it? That's Nick Lowe's genius, as far as I understand. Perfect producer. We're talking about him elevating other artists. Well, this is an example of how you elevate another artist. The next song... (laughs) 
I know you're iffy on. At least no, I no, think well, you no, are. Hold on. I, I, so I said, <laughs> I said Paul a text when I was on a run because I was enjoying a run as well. And then I'm thinking about a dog devouring a corpse to stay alive. And I texted him, Paul, this is the world I created for myself. I like this one a lot. I think it's a great, very funny song. I like this one so much. We're talking about Mary Provost. And here's a line from the song. She was a winner that became the doggy's dinner. She never meant that much to me, poor Marie. So that's what you're describing there. Sung with like a beetle melody. Yeah. It's like a John Lennon <laughs> yeah. 64 or 5 yeah. Beatles song. Right. It's irresistible. It's an irresistible hook. It's an irresistible song. We're back in acoustic land, which he exiles himself into at varying points in the album. For me, this is his third big swing for the commercial fences on the record. I think this one also has a little Ben Folds on it. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure. I mean, Ben would have a little Mary Provost in him. Maybe he ate the doggies dinner. <laughs> Yeah, Ben does have that song, The Secret Life of Morgan Davis, that sort of reminds me of this. But this song is menacing in a way that that song cannot be. Because <laughs> you open with the cops busting into the scene. Yeah. And the woman's been dead for two or three weeks. And it, all the neighbors are like, oh, well, we didn't hear anything for two or three weeks. Yeah. So then you have to cope with the image of a dog eating a corpse for three weeks as he <laughs> sings, she was a winner <laughs> that became a dog east. And we're like, wow, this song is great. Ah. And then verse two is what? It's her life. Yeah. It was what her career she was an actress, her career tanked when the talkies came to town. Is that the line? <laughs> yeah, so she's an old old lady. Yeah. Very old. She was very old and now is She's vaudevillian. What an end what a final act. For Marie Provost. Yeah, it's a fun one. Followed by another very fun song with perhaps the best title. Oh boy. Nutted by reality. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, this one, when I was re-listening, I came back to much more. <laughs> so, well, I heard the Castro did Castro. <laughs> I cut off everything he had. Like, oh my goodness. What fun. My first note on this song is, I wish this guy would just cut disco records. I would listen to the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this is another very disco-y kind of bouncy little number, you know, very late 70s bouncy little number, but with a very, very funny lyric all about how they cut Castro's dick off. Uh, the bass line. Bass is great. And Nick oh, plays. Man. Nick is the bassist in the band. Really? Or was. What is it about pile. bassists? You just know how to glue it all together, I think. What is it? Yeah. Jack Bruce. McCartney. Sting. Sting. Charlie Brian. Mingus. Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson. What is it? Maybe you just have more time to think because you're just playing the root note. But I don't know. I, I think the bass guitar, it's not quite the drums. It's not quite a guitar. Yeah. You're keeping rhythm. But you're also gluing it all together. But you have to know the song better because you're the bottom. Right. Aside from the bass drum. Sure. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's... I'm the, a bass player. played bass in a lot of jazz bands. Sure. If you're playing bass guitar, somebody at some point uttered the phrase, well, somebody's got to do it. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. you're just the kind of personality that it takes. The accommodator. Right. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. I actually don't disagree with that. Yeah. That's what Paul had to do. Sting didn't want to play the bass. He wanted to play the guitar. Nobody wants to play the bass. No. Except, uh, who's the Motown guy? James Jamerson? James Jamerson. Aha! And I didn't did you, touch a computer. Did you not? No, I didn't. I'm going to have to look take at your my hands. I can't see most of you. And I <laughs> refuse to look at you. <laughs> I love the ooh-la. I say ooh-la. 
Is that an English phrase? Because I feel, you know, Rod Stewart used that at Rod, one point. Yeah. And There's that band that was at the La La's or something like that. Well, the Kooks had one, I think, called Ooh La. There She Goes Again. There she goes, there she goes again. I that's, think that's by a band called the La La's or oh, something man, that's, like that. That's Tal Bachman. No, that's Sixpence None the Richer. That's the cover of the original song. They didn't write no. that? My world is crumbling Sorry. down. Sorry. Welcome to, you were just nutted by reality. <laughs> That's really good. Somebody, I hope no one else is in this building. I, um, I hope. There's a menacing laughter coming <laughs> from that room. See, I've been living in a different world than I was nutted by reality. It's got a Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> yeah. quality to it. Yeah. You know? Well, Garfunkel got nutted a couple times. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Art. Oh, boy. And if you're good with this one, I'd love to move on to the last song on the English record, which was the live version of Heart of the City. Okay. My first note is just, yes, 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 yes. I could blast this thing all day. Oh, it's a fun one, man. And I much prefer this to the studio version. Yeah, I agree with that. For some reason, this song live has so much life to it yeah it's it feels alive it's really rock i really 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 love this song and what a great ending to the record i found myself singing along on first listen which is always a good sign the whole first verse in the heart of the city where the alligator roam i'm a little lost lamb ain't got no place to go ain't got one penny just a shirt on my back left home in a hurry and i ain't never coming back yeah Looking for a lover in the heart of the city. It's, that just reminds me of my entire time in New York. Yeah. We're like, oh, I'm broke again. Time to get drunk and find some ladies, <laughs> which didn't really work. <laughs> yeah, especially if we're bad at it. Yeah. No, I love it. It's, it there's a uh, building. There's like a rock and roll climax to this one. You have the ascent, the building guitar at the end, and then you have that awesome little snare drum moment where it's like... Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it goes into a roll. Really, really good. Clean live recording. Well, yeah, you, so we wouldn't have had this if they hadn't failed and then spent all the time in the pub bands playing and playing and playing. And that's why, you know, you deliver. The, and think of it. So what's more interesting? A bunch of guys, hungover guys in the studio in the morning or afternoon, or those guys drunk again at night with people like in mm. a sweaty little room yep. going for it. That's it's the it. adrenaline, you know? Yeah. Mach Shao. Yes. Mac Shao, Mac Shao. Nine, nine. Must make show. We are not an alt-right podcast. I, swear. <laughs> I really, really want to articulate that for everyone. So are we going to talk about these bonus tracks? Well, we don't have to talk about all of them. I mean, we talked about, they called it rock a bit. Roller show, you clearly can't stand. I don't care for that one <laughs> at all. I really love Shake That Rat. Was that surf rock kind of? Oh yeah, that's... Bar- I think it's a baritone guitar. He's playing jangly little thing Sounds there. Sounds like Dick Dale. I yeah, Dick Dale or if I had to talk about Vic one, Vic Flick. <laughs> yes. Were you going to say I love my label? Because that's what I was going to talk about. I wasn't. So why oh, don't you never... take it? Oh okay. Another track that his Randy Newman is showing. <laughs> I love this song. It's obviously all very sarcastic. I love my label, and my label's got high hopes in me. (laughs) I I guess you could say I'm the poor relation of the parent company. Yeah, that is a lovely line. They always ask for lots of songs, no more than 250 long, 
so I write them some. <laughs> There's another line from that. There's this little frolicky piano, and I again, the drums, the drums on this. I would place this on the album. I would maybe replace... What do you knock off? There's not a lot I want to knock off here. Yeah, it's tough. That's why... That's a really tough one. I'm going to break your heart. I would take this over so it goes. Hmm. I actually don't mind that. Yeah. Roller show, that's just them setting up the Bay City Rollers. So if you know about yeah. the, that, they're like a squeaky clean pop act. Right. And that's his sarcastic take on that. Okay. Him doing a song about going to see the Bay City Rollers in the style of the Bay City Rollers. Sure. But that's all I had to say about that. The one that I, I just go back to over and over and over again is Endless Sleep. Yeah. Where it starts with either the sound... Sounds like like lighting up a cigarette or something, and it's just yeah. When you're walking in the street, spoiling for a fight, hoping for a miracle, and there's no miracle in sight, registering zero because you're bombed out on the blues, you feel like some bad story in yesterday's news. This to That's me good. is how he felt about his career. Yeah, because you're bombed out on the blues. You feel like some bad story In yesterday's news It make you wanna lay face down on the grass Maybe it's why it didn't even make it to the album, but it's, there was a little EP he put out called Bowie. <laughs> Okay. Of these unreleased songs, yeah. when they, you know, when people thought he was making fun of Bowie, yeah, and he's doing the cover of "Low," he's like mocking the cover. I'll show it to you later, okay. and it's it's just a bummer that Nick Lowe isn't as well known as some of these other guys. Who mm. I think some of these other guys, it was more publicity than actual craftsmanship, because this is just yeah. such a great record. Yeah, in the '90s, somewhere Jeff Buckley was frantically scribbling notes listening to this one it's had such a jeff buckley feel to it for me and um a little plastic ono on it mm. yeah i really like i like his soft like his head voice you know and i love it when he's really close mic'd and i don't know he, i think he can sing in such a variety of um, style you know i don't know if he's picked up some of that from mccartney or who his actual influences are but i think he's more interested in in, in black music and roots music than he is yeah. in like the scene of what's happening. Right. So I have this I'll read that I pulled that just kind of encapsulates the feelings of the record. Jesus of Cool, it's self-referential pop that loves the past but doesn't treat it as sacred. It is the first postmodern pop record and how it plays as it builds upon tradition and how it's all tied together by Lowe's irrepressible irreverence. I'm going to put that on my business card. <laughs> it's hard It's hard to imagine any of the power pop of the next three decades without it. And while plenty have tried, nobody has made a better pure pop record than this. Not even Nick. And of course, he didn't really try to make another record like this either. Well, Ryan, what a lovely place to leave this record. I will say this. Thank you for showing me this album. Thank you for showing up and enjoying it and... Maybe we'll come back to Nick at some later date. Loved it. I know I certainly will. So that's been another edition of Now Hear This. Thank you. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at, at Now Hear This Podcast on Instagram, at Now Hear This Pod on Twitter, 
facebook.com slash nowhearthispodcast or email us at nowhearthisofficial at gmail.com. See you next time. We're going to, we're still working on this show, folks. This is, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Boys are back in town. Oh, interesting. So yeah, the boys and back. <clears throat> the boys and berries. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology boop, 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 that boop, boop, boop. ACAST has developed for us. That's right, ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then.